Welcome to eBible Fellowship's Sunday Bible Study. For broadcast times in your area of these studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now it's time to begin our Sunday study with your speaker, Chris McCann. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 50, and we'll start reading in verse 4 through verse 8. Jeremiah 50, verse 4, In those days and in that time, saith Jehovah, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together, going and weeping. They shall go and seek Jehovah their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces thitherward, saying, Come and let us join ourselves to Jehovah in a perpetual covenant, that shall not be forgotten. My people has been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. All that found them have devoured them. And their adversaries said, We offend not, because they have sinned against Jehovah, the habitation of justice, even Jehovah, the hope of their fathers, Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he goats before the flocks. And we'll stop reading there. And we, we've been looking at Jeremiah 50 in order to better understand Babylon and, and, um, the spiritual, uh, meaning of Babylon in the Bible. And if you've been following the previous studies, um, or if you've forgotten, and, you know, we have to uh, make some leeway for people who forget because this is once a month. And it, it's kind of easy to forget something if the last time you heard about it was a month ago. But uh, in case you, you've forgotten or, or maybe you haven't been following the study, Babylon represents who? Well, it represents, actually, Babylon represents the kingdom of Satan, the world, which includes the church today because the church has become part of the world. And um, when God commands, um, come out of her, my people. And let's look at that in Revelation chapter 18. In Revelation chapter 18, it says, beginning in verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth are wax rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. There's the command to come out of Babylon. Now, before I ask you, who does Babylon represent when God commands to come out of her, let me first ask you, have you ever checked out that phrase, come out of her, my people? Have you ever looked it up? And I, I, I don't think many of us have. 
And we, we have to learn what that phrase means when God says, come out of her, my people, just like we learn anything else by seeing how it's used elsewhere in the Bible. Now, in Jeremiah 50, in verse 8, we have a similar command. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he goats before the flock. So God is basically commanding, come out of her, my people. Leave Babylon. Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of Chaldeans. And Babylon and the Chaldeans are, are synonymous. The Chaldees are the Babylonians. And, and God uses them interchangeably. And here He's commanding to go forth out of the midst of Babylon. Now, let, let's look at some places where God also gives this command. One place is in Isaiah 48. Isaiah chapter 48 and beginning in verse 20. Go ye forth of Babylon, flee ye from the Chaldeans, with a voice of singing declare ye, tell this, utter it even to the end of the earth. Say ye, Jehovah has redeemed his servant Jacob, and they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He clave the rock also, and the waters gushed out. So here, God in verse 20 is again saying, Go ye forth of Babylon. Now it's interesting that verse 21 is, is that describing the coming out of Babylon? What's that referring to? It, there's, there's no switch or, or there, there's no change where God says, okay, now I'm talking about Babylon and then in the next verse, I'm going to switch to another subject. He doesn't tell us that. Verse 20, he's commanding to leave Babylon. And then verse 21, and they thirsted not when he led them through the deserts. When did God lead Israel through the deserts? When they came out of Egypt. They came out of Egypt. He caused the waters to flow out of the rock for them. He claved the rock also and the waters gushed out. You see how he just joined the two ideas together in those two verses? Remove or, or go ye forth of Babylon. And then he speaks in the very next verse without any um, advance notice to us, without any warning, hey, I'm changing pace. I'm going to speak of another exodus, another time when my people were held captive and when they had to come out of the land. He doesn't say that. He just joins the two together as one. And and that's because they're very similar ideas. They're very similar ideas. Where God brought His people out of Egypt, what was that a picture of? We're, we're, we actually are very aware what that's a picture of, right? Salvation. It was a deliverance from a cruel captor, the Egyptians and Pharaoh. And we understand, we've always understood this spiritually. That was the house of bondage. Egypt was the house of bondage. And when the Israelites came out, it was picturing salvation. But Babylon, on the other hand, and coming out of Babylon, we, we have an idea 
that that means coming out of the church. And that's a wrong idea. It's a wrong idea. It's not coming out of the church because the command in Revelation 18 that we read, come out of her, my people, is given at the fall of Babylon. Verse 2 said Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Now, when did Babylon fall historically? At, at what point? At the end of 70 years? And what do those 70 years typify? The Great Tribulation. So the fall of Babylon historically occurs not during the 70-year period when the Babylonians were picturing Satan and his assault against the churches, but at the end of the 70 years when the captives were released because the period of the Babylonian king's reign over his people was ended and the Medes and the Persians took the kingdom and Cyrus issued a proclamation, you may return to Jerusalem. And yet we understand on one hand, the going forth out of Egypt pictures salvation, deliverance from sin, but we don't fully understand that when it comes to Babylon. And yet we should. Take a look at Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah 16 in verse 14 says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith Jehovah, that it shall no more be said, Jehovah liveth, that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Now again, God's talking about bringing them up out of Egypt. But he's saying the day is coming where we're not going to mention that anymore. We're not going to talk about that. But that's like one of the Bible's big topics of of glorifying God that he brought forth his people out of the land of Egypt. And yet now the day is coming. Well, that that's not the focus any longer. Verse 15, but Jehovah liveth that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north. Babylon is the land that came out of the north. And from all the lands, whither he had driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. And the spiritual meaning would be, of course, the kingdom of heaven the coming up out of the north. But you see how God is contrasting the two deliverances, the two major deliverances in the Bible when he brought his people out of Egypt and when he brought them out of Babylon. And he's saying that the greater deliverance is when he brought his people out of Babylon. Do you remember any plagues upon the Babylonians? Do you remember the plague of flies or frogs or lice or darkness? No plagues. No plagues. No mighty hand of God. The death of the firstborn in Babylon? No. Why would the coming out of Babylon be greater than the coming out of Egypt? Because God definitely showed forth His His mighty power in a glorious way, an unparalleled way, unprecedented that the world has never seen and He's never repeated. And yet He says here, well, it's not to be compared to when I brought my people out of Babylon. Now look also at Jeremiah 23. In Jeremiah 23, and again in verse 7, 
It says a similar thing. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith Jehovah, that they shall no more say Jehovah liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But Jehovah liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries, whither I had driven them and they shall dwell in their own land. Again, same statement. And it makes no sense historically. It just doesn't make any sense when you look at it in a literal way, a historical way, why the the unfaithful Jews who went into captivity in Babylon and and they just waited out the period of time that God had said he had indicated it would be 70 years. And, and there was no special deliverance of any kind. It was just simply that time period elapsed. And then at the end of 70 years, God raised up a king and, and they were delivered. They, they were free to go back and it was a pretty ordinary trip. Nothing spectacular, right? When they came out, we don't read of any miracles that were performed when they left Babylon during the exile period. If you read uh, Nehemiah or Ezra, some of those books, you don't find anything spectacular, anything incredible. There's no miracles. Just simply, they packed their belongings, they left Babylon, and they returned to the land of Judah, historically. And, and so it doesn't, it doesn't seem to make any sense. And it doesn't make any sense when we look at it literally or historically, But what if we look at it spiritually? What if we look at it spiritually? The end of the 70 years, the 70 years we know typified the Great Tribulation. And what happens at the end of the Great Tribulation? What does God say in Revelation chapter 7? Remember, He speaks of a great multitude in verse 9. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And, and then it goes on, and finally the question's asked in verse 13, And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? Where they come from? And then the response in verse 14, I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. So if you have washed your robes, they're made white in the blood of the Lamb, it means your sins are forgiven. You have been saved. You are one of God's elect. And here is a great multitude coming out of great tribulation. And the 70-year period of captivity in Babylon typified the great tribulation. The end of the 70 years and, and the coming out after would picture a great multitude coming out of great tribulation. In other words, it's not to be compared to the deliverance from Egypt because this was the greatest uh, demonstration of the power of God in saving 
a people for himself. He saved more in this short little season of great tribulation than he did in the whole history of the world before. And and so that's why these verses say, The days come, saith Jehovah, that they shall no more say, Jehovah liveth, which brought up the children of Israel, the land of Egypt. That's nothing. That's nothing. But Jehovah liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country. And we can just understand that to mean the great multitude which came out of great tribulation. That's the point of that. And uh, this is what coming out of Babylon is picturing. And that's why Isaiah chapter 48, when it said, Go ye forth of Babylon, free from the Chaldeans, then immediately speaks of cleaving the rock and the waters gushing out because it's it's joining these two grand deliverances together. Or let's go to Zechariah chapter 2. And, and let's look specifically at the language of God as He commands to come out of her. In Zechariah 2, in verse 6, Ho, ho, come forth and flee from the land of the north, saith Jehovah. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heaven, saith Jehovah. Deliver thyself, O Zion, that dwellest with the daughter of Babylon. Deliver thyself is the command to go out and you deliver yourself. And and it's not found only there. Look at Jeremiah 51. Jeremiah chapter 51 and verse 6 says, Flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. To be more specific, that's what God's talking about. Flee out of Babylon and deliver your soul. And and that is, without any question, language of salvation. Um, look at Isaiah 46.4. Just to look at this same word, deliver. Isaiah 46, verse 4 says, And even to your old age I am he, and even to whore hairs will I carry you, I have made and I will bear, even I will carry and will deliver you. There's There's several other verses where God speaks of delivering, and it's in the context of salvation. And and so in Jeremiah 51, 6, flee out of the midst of Babylon and deliver every man his soul. Be not cut off in her iniquity, which is very similar to Revelation 18, 4. For this is the time of Jehovah's vengeance. He will render unto her recompense. Now let's ask the question, did everyone that fled the church deliver their soul? No. We, we know there, there's no sense trying not to discuss it. We know that a, quite a number of people that came out of the churches aren't saved. They, they weren't saved when they were in the church and they didn't become saved when they came out of the church. How do we know? By their many and varied doctrines that, that they have been involved in and, and put forth. They've, um, gone left and they've gone right and they've not stayed on the path. And that's how we can know about anyone. You know, well, I, I don't know, I went and pointed at that individual, but I can know what they're saying is far off. And, and that indicates that, well, there was a problem that there were individuals that came out of the churches 
They left. And why did they leave? Because they heard Revelation 18.4. Come out of her, my people, and uh, do not be a part of her iniquities and her sins. They heard that, and yet their coming out never delivered them. It never delivered one of them. But if God brought someone out of Babylon spiritually through His mercy and by His grace, did they have their souls delivered? Every single one who fled Babylon that way had their soul delivered. And, and of course, that's something, a work that only God can do because He'll have mercy upon whom He'll have mercy. And, and so really, this is a command where God is saying, flee Babylon, deliver your soul. And just like so many commands, we can't do it. We can't do it. So it would really be leading us back to God. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, take me out of this wicked world in the only way that that's possible. Of course, I wouldn't mind you literally taking me out of this wicked world, but save me, have mercy on me in the day of salvation when that could be declared. And when God did save an individual, it was as though they were um, translated out of the kingdom of Babylon or darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son, the kingdom of heaven. And at the end of that period of time of the great tribulation, the end of the jubilee, the end of the latter rain, the end of the day of salvation, then every man goes to his own land. All those that God intended to save were saved, and all that were not His elect remained in Babylon, this world, in an unsaved condition. And that's what God is getting at. Uh, Look at Jeremiah 51 in verse 42. I'll start reading there. The sea is come up upon Babylon. She is covered with the multitude of the waves thereof. Her cities are a desolation, a dry land and a wilderness, a land wherein no man dwelleth. That would be Christ. And the next part of the verse confirms it. Neither doth any son of man pass thereby. Christ is not present in the world today saving. And that's why God makes that statement. And I will punish Bel in Babylon and I'll bring forth out of his mouth that which he has swallowed up and the nations shall not flow together any more unto him. Yea, the wall of Babylon shall fall. My people, go ye out of the midst of her and deliver ye every man his soul from the fierce anger of Jehovah. There's the command. My people, come out of her. Deliver your soul. It's always in association in the context of delivering your soul, not um, uh, not coming out of the church, because you can come out of the church and not deliver your soul, but it has to do with salvation. Now, remember Ezekiel 33 and the watchman's cry or the watchman's um we, we used to read this all the time in Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning in verse 1. Again, the word of Jehovah came unto me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of thy people, and say unto them, When I bring the sword upon a land, if the people of the land take a man of their coasts and set him for their watchman, 
If when he seeth the sword come upon the land, he blow the trumpet and warn the people. And, and that's what we did. That what, what is the crime of the true believers that the world will not forgive and those in the churches will not forgive? It's love. That's the crime of the true believers who had advanced information concerning the day of judgment and uh, irregardless of what people thought about them because they loved their friends and their family and their and strangers on the street they stood out there enduring mockery and reviling and all the evil things that were said or thought of them and you know we're not stupid we know what people think about us and yet out of love the true believer put up with all that and and even loved those individuals that were uh, despising the Word of God that was graciously and kindly giving them this advance information. And in that, we were blowing the trumpet. Now, God has a principle in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. You don't have to turn there. But if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who will prepare himself to the battle? And that's why God arranged it. And I'll, I'll say that I believe it with all my heart. God arranged it so that we were absolutely convinced that this would be the day of judgment. We just so happened to be right about that. We were uh, incorrect in some other areas concerning the rapture and things like that. But God arranged it so that we would say unequivocally, without any question, with an exclamation point, May 21, 2011 was Judgment Day, in order that the trumpet blast sound clearly. Because if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, well, maybe, or possibly, or could be, the world just dismisses it. But God, in in His wisdom, He opened up this information, He moved us to declare this thing, in absolute terms, so the trumpet would sound and everyone would hear in the nations and they would realize, I have until May 21 to seek the Lord. I have until that day, until the door shuts. And that's what the billboards were proclaiming. You know, the billboards uh, and the tracks and so forth, they were saying May 21 Judgment Day. They weren't saying anything about the rapture. They weren't saying anything about October. May 21, Judgment Day, which was completely accurate. And you had until that time to go to the Lord if perhaps by His good pleasure He might save you. And and God arranged that because in all earnestness, that was the period of time to get right with Him. And and so everyone had that correct and they had that advanced information that whatever day it is I'm hearing this blast of the trumpet, I have from this point until that day. Well, that day came, and God did shut the door of heaven, and now, now there's no more salvation. Now there, you know, when we talk about this, or when, if we talk about, uh, a possible end to the day of judgment, Say in 1600 days, which is a good possibility, we're, we're not warning people. 
like like a watchman. We're not blowing a trumpet. And, and that's why we say, well, good possibility. The, the critical information was May 21, because that's when the matter of a person's soul was being settled by God. That's at the point when God was still saving, and that was critical. Now at this point, whether the Lord comes after 1,600 days or, or at a later point is not critical. It's not going to change someone's eternal condition at all. Well, okay, blow the trumpet, warn the people, then in verse 4, then whosoever heareth the sound of the trumpet and taketh not warning, if the sword come and take him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and took not warning. His blood shall be upon him, but he that taketh warning shall deliver his soul. There, there's that phrase. Come out of her, my people. Or, or what was that verse that we were just looking at? Jeremiah 51. 45, my people, go ye out of the midst of her and deliver ye every man his soul from the fierce anger of Jehovah. And the watchman blew the trumpet to warn the people. The whole world heard. It was proclaimed all over the earth for the purpose of individuals taking warning that they might deliver their soul. And in delivering their soul, salvation, they would come out of Babylon. They, they would spiritually leave Satan's kingdom and they would enter into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, you know, when we find these verses that relate to Revelation 18, we don't find coming out of a church. We don't find that at all. We find information that identifies with salvation. That's the only way someone can deliver their soul is, is through the salvation of God. Now, um, let's um, look at this idea another way. When Israel came out of Babylon, when Judah came out of Babylon, um, in, again, at the end of 70 years, which would typify the Great Tribulation, at the proclamation of Cyrus, the king of the Medes and the Persians, God uses language that speaks of bringing back the captivity. I'm sure you've read that in Jeremiah and Ezekiel, returning the captivity, uh, bringing back the captivity. Well, let, let's look at that phrase, because that is coming out of Babylon when the captivity was returned. In Psalm 85, it says in verse 1, Jehovah, Thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people. Thou hast covered all their sin, Selah. See how the two ideas are joined together? You brought back the captivity. You've forgiven their sin. Uh, look at Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10. Beginning in 10, I'll read a few verses here. For thus saith Jehovah, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. 
For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith Jehovah, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith Jehovah, and I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith Jehovah, and I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. And it, uh, once again, the Lord is using language that that identifies with salvation as he speaks of turning away the captivity. In Jeremiah 30, verse 3, it says, For lo, the days come, saith Jehovah, that I will bring again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, saith Jehovah, and it will cause them to return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. And when we possess the land, that's a um, language that identifies with the promise to Abraham. The land is given for an everlasting inheritance. And, and that's when we possess the land, when we experience God's salvation. Well, let's go to Jeremiah 33 and verse 7. And it will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to return and will build them as at the first, and I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me, and I will pardon all their iniquities, whereby they have sinned, and whereby they have transgressed against me. So in many places, it is returning the captivity, forgiving their sin, coming out of Babylon, delivering your soul. The, the ideas are very much the same, um, I think I think it's pretty clear what God has in view, but let's go to one more place. Ezekiel 39 and verse 25. Ezekiel chapter 39. Therefore, thus saith the Lord Jehovah, now will I bring again the captivity of Jacob and have mercy upon the whole house of Israel and will be jealous for my holy name. So bringing the captivity, having mercy upon the whole house, that would be all the elect, which is what's in view at the end of the Great Tribulation. The great multitude um, completes the salvation plan of God as all whose names were written in the Lamb's Book of Life have been found. And now the whole house of Israel has been gathered and will be jealous for my holy name. Verse 26, after that they have borne their shame, and all their trespasses whereby they have trespassed against me when they dwelt safely in their land and none made them afraid. When I have brought them again from the people and gathered them out of their enemies' lands and am sanctified in them in the sight of many nations. So here God is speaking of bringing the captivity, i.e. the end of the great tribulation, the whole a uh, number of the elect are gathered and he's sanctified in the sight of the world because here we are. We're still in, uh, on the earth. We're still amongst the nations of the world and God has further plan um, that we've learned his punishment upon the people of the world is for them to drink of the same cup that the churches drank of. And that cup was completely spiritual. 
And then he, uh, he gives the cup to all the nations and they're presently drinking of it ignorantly, blissfully, ignorantly, but they're drinking of it just as the churches weren't aware that the judgment of God was upon them and still aren't aware. Same with the, the inhabitants of the earth who are being punished now by God. And he also has a plan to try us and to test this gold and silver to see, it, as as we mentioned earlier, not everyone that came out of the church was saved. And just leaving the church it hasn't delivered anyone's soul. That's not salvation. Salvation is a uh, a work of God. And, and so it's his plan to try in a severe way all of the elect uh, to see if we will hold on to the Lord Jesus, hold on to his truth that he has opened up. And just look, you know, what's been happening um, over the last couple of years as Robert mentioned, we're over two years since that date. Actually, in July will be about the 800th day, and that will be half of 1,600 days. So we're almost at a halfway point as far as the possibility of 1,600 days. And and what are people doing? We we don't know what's going on within individuals, but but where's the gospel? Where? Outside of e-Bible, and I only mention e-Bible because it's the only one I know of, who is teaching the gospel today? Where are you hearing the gospel? Where are you hearing the, the meat of the gospel? The deep things of the Bible? Who is teaching it? Are the churches teaching it? You know, that's the problem that some have when they dismiss out of hand the idea of a spiritual judgment day, and and even though that answers so many things, they just dismiss it, and and they quickly say, oh, uh, out of pride, they're saying it. They're just trying to uh, to cover up the fact that they don't want to admit they're wrong, or and and some have gone as far as saying we're heretics because we dare say God has ended His salvation plan, even though they themselves say He has within the church, and we're just carrying that very same teaching because it's the same cup to the world, and yet where is the gospel? Okay, if we're wrong, if e-Bible's wrong, where is the correction? Where are the ones teaching with the answers? Please instruct us and show us when uh, will the Great Tribulation end if it hasn't ended already. What happened on May 21? What about the timeline of history? And it just, when we ask these questions, there are no answers that anyone is providing. Nowhere. Not in the church, not outside the church, not through any ministry. And and so we're diligently and have been diligently Studying the Word of God in depth since May 21 and digging into it. And everything we find supports the biblical calendar of history. We haven't, um, uh, you know, it's not like we've come up with some strange and new teachings. We're building upon the teachings that Family Radio was teaching. Uh, I was listening to 
something on YouTube with Mr. Camping right after um, May 21. And he was giving a couple of interviews and making some statements. And he said at that point, before he had his stroke, that God brought a spiritual judgment, that the, the, the all the information is intact, the biblical calendar of history is intact, and and so forth. He came up with the same conclusions that the people of God have come up with as we've dug into these things. Now, it wasn't long after that he had his stroke, and now, of course, Family Radio doesn't hold that position, nor Mr. Camping. But at that point, when uh, he he went to the Bible, he saw, he was the first one to see God brought a day of spiritual judgment on the earth. And so we've been building on all the the uh, trustworthy things that God has opened up from His Word as He unsealed the Scriptures. And we have just uh, gone a little further because of our vantage point of being in the Day of Judgment. But, but uh, you know, uh, it's hard to be corrected when no one's offering any correction. And and if anyone feels we're going the wrong way, then please offer some correction and guidance and show us what happened and, and teach us what is going on as far as the Great Tribulation and all these other things. Okay, well, let me just mention one last thing before we close. In Jeremiah 50, in verse 8, Remove out of the midst of Babylon and go forth out of the land of the Chaldeans and be as the he-goats before the flocks. Is it a coincidence that God is talking about a flock of sheep or flocks? And, and we're in a time where we're feeding sheep. Actually, you'll find that when God brought His people out of Egypt, He likened them to sheep in Psalm 78. It says in verse 51, And smote all the firstborn in Egypt, the chief of their strength, and the tabernacles of Ham, but made his own people to go forth like sheep, and guided them in the wilderness like a flock, and he led them on safely, so that they feared not, but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. So the Lord is picturing the Israelites that came out of Egypt like a flock of sheep that he was safely guiding and protecting. And remember how the Bible joins coming out of Egypt with coming out of Babylon at the end of the Great Tribulation, or, or spiritual, that's what it points to. And and we suddenly find in John 21 that uh, all of a sudden Christ, after the great catch of fish, which typifies the great multitude, is speaking to Peter and telling him to feed his sheep because this great multitude has been gathered and they need to be fed spiritually. And once again, in a time of testing, as the Israelites were tested in the wilderness and tempted, God's people today uh, likewise are, and also the idea of a flock of sheep uh, is in view. Okay, we'll stop here and close with a word of prayer and then um, well we'll we'll just break for lunch. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today and we thank you for your word. We pray that you would bless your word to each one of us. And Father, we
Uh, thank you for this whole day, and we pray that you would help us throughout this day to get alone with you and to spend time in prayer speaking with you and also reading the Bible, listening to you. And, and Father, we do need your help. Uh, we need your strength. We pray that you would strengthen us in the inward man through your word for all of the um, obstacles and, and afflictions and, and all the things that lie ahead for us. We pray that you would help us to uh, lean upon you and trust in you with all of our heart and to wait upon you patiently for you to bring things to pass. And Father, we we pray uh, for E-Bible. We ask that you would bless E-Bible and that people would find the websites and and we pray you would bless Bob as he hands out these leaflets and uh, bless the individuals that are receiving them. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship Sunday Bible Study. For more information or to hear additional Bible studies, be sure to visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com.